following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me. church is lost. The modern American church is lost, and it has exported across the nations a gospel that is no gospel, and it has caused many other nations, many other churches to believe a false gospel that will cause them to be lost. This is most serious. I listened this morning to a message by a pastor, well-known pastor, on national television. I listened to him on the Internet. As he said, I am saved by faith and by grace. And he said it in such a casual, throwaway manner. I knew by having listened to him before, I knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying he is saved by faith and by grace but he is not saved from his sin. That Jesus' blood covers him, literally making the blood of Jesus Christ of no more value than the blood of bulls and goats, only able to cover the sin, not able to remove it. 
This is heresy. This is Gnosticism 101. This is paganism. And the American church has given itself to paganism. Now, if we look at this carefully, we will have to come to the conclusion that the reason the American church is lost, the modern church is lost, the reason is because they have refused to go to Mount Sinai. No, we are not saved by law. We are, in fact, saved by faith and by grace, but it's a real salvation. It's not a make-believe salvation. It is literally being saved by faith and by grace from my sin so that I no longer walk in it. I walk clean, washed, a new man, a new creature in Christ Jesus. But if you bypass Sinai, if you go past Mount Sinai and you never spend any time there, you will never understand the depth of your wickedness. You will never fully repent of your sin. You will take the gospel of Jesus Christ as something that is simply there for self-improvement. Thus it becomes, the gospel becomes something that improves me, it gives me strategies for success, it gives me an ability to have a little better life, but there's no salvation in it, and I'm lost. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. This is going to be a very serious explanation of the lostness of the church and what must be done immediately for this dire situation to be corrected. Go with me to the scriptures. I'm not going to teach anything that is not found in the scriptures. I'm not going to teach modern Gnosticism as the modern church is teaching it. The good news that I'm bringing to you is that there is release from your sin. There is the breaking of every bondage. And there is now open for you the door of heaven. But to open that door of heaven and to enter that door of heaven, you have to first stop and make a very significant journey to Mount Sinai, to the law of God. So we come to Exodus, the 19th chapter. We learn that three months after they left Egypt, they arrived at Mount Sinai. And here they are going to spend the next year, and they are going to be taught a whole new culture. Remember, these are slave people. These are uneducated people. These are people who have lost their heritage, and they are going to be given a new culture, a God culture. And it's going to shape the Jewish people for the remaining years, even, yea, even to today, they are shaped by what happened at Mount Sinai. We do well to consider seriously what happened there. The first thing that happens when they arrive at Mount Sinai is that Moses goes up to God. They are at the desert of Sinai. They have camped in front of the mountain. And Moses immediately begins the climb up that mountain because the Lord had called him and said, Come up here, Moses. And the Lord said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. 
In other words, a covenant is being formed. It is, however, a covenant of obedience. It is a covenant of works. Now, please understand, I am not going to teach a covenant of works. I teach a covenant of faith, of grace. But real faith and real grace, not make-believe as is taught in the American church today. I'm appalled by what I see happening. I'm appalled by what's happening in America. I'm appalled by what's happening in our government in our presidency, in our executive branch, in our legislative branch. I'm appalled by what's happening with the Supreme Court. And all of this is flowing out of the Christian church and its neglect of righteousness and holiness. The pulpits of America have turned into self-help gurus, businessmen, not men of God preaching a fiery message of repentance, which is needed in America today, desperately needed. Moses goes up to God. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back down, he summoned the elders of the people, and he set before them the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord said. No, they won't. They will not. Why won't they? Because there is no repentance on the part of the children of Israel. They are still the same selfish slaves that were brought out of Egypt. Now, they have been baptized into Moses. They have seen the wondrous works of God. They've seen the miracles of God. Miracles do not make repentance happen. The only thing that will cause repentance to happen is when you see and understand that you are condemned before a holy and righteous God and you are going to die in that desert. And they refuse to repent. They refuse to believe the word of God. And we're getting ahead of the story, but you know they all died in the desert. Well, the modern American church is going to die in this desert of America if there is not a very serious consideration of the law, God's law. If there is not a very real sense of our desperate need for God, and for righteousness, for holiness, American church, you are doomed to die. Many are already slipping into hell. Hell is being filled with people who call themselves Christians. There is going to have to be a radical, radical transformation in the direction of the American church and the pastors of the American church. Now, it's not popular. People don't want to hear it. The children of Israel didn't want to hear it. They got very angry with Moses, wanted to stone him to death. I went to the village of of Nazareth when I was in Israel recently. I stood there in Nazareth. It's a, it's a dirty little town. Not anything to attract you. It's very poor. Junky. But I stood there at the ruins of the synagogue. And then we had to drive a short distance to where the cliff was, where they tried to kill Jesus, where they tried to throw him off the cliff in their anger and their pride. The American church would try to throw Jesus off that cliff too if he came. I 
I stood on top of that cliff and looked down, down, down. Those many, many feet down below. A man would die if he were pushed off that cliff. I wept. I stood there with tears flowing down my face. The hardness of our hearts is astounding to me. And until we begin to feel the condemnation of the law, we will not repent. Until we begin to recognize we are utterly lost in our self-assured pride. It's time for the American church to begin to weep over its wicked condition. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and they will always put their trust in you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits around around the mountain and tell the people, be careful that you don't go up and touch that mountain, even the base of it, because if you do, you will be put to death. Whether an animal or a man goes to that mountain, he will die because it is holy ground. And they were unholy people. They were unholy people. I heard one foolish young supposed prophet proclaiming that the the hour has come for the glory of God to come down upon the church. If the glory of God ever came down on the American church, most in the American church would die. Do you understand? It terrifies me to even pray for revival because if the Holy Spirit comes... The Ananias and Sapphira's that take most of the population of the American church would all die. They would drop dead. There's going to have to be first a great work of, of weeping and confession of sin and repentance before the Holy Spirit can come to the American church. We are unfit for the presence of God. Oh, we're fit for the for the entertainment, for the dinners and the concerts, the dramas, the pastors standing and telling their football jokes, laughing and treating as an unholy thing, the scriptures, drawing inspirational little lessons out of them. I am appalled by the preaching in America today. It is wicked It is obscene. It is sentimental slop. Moses goes down the mountain to the people. He tells them to wash their clothes. He told them to prepare because three days from today, God is going to come down on this mountain and abstain from sexual relations. In other words, don't satisfy the lust of any part of your natural man. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. The whole mountain lit up with fire. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, tells us, Moses was terrified. The the visible presence of God was so mighty that even the holy man Moses feared for his life. The mountain rocked with earthquake tremors. Everyone in the camp trembled with terror and fear. 
And Moses rallied the people and he said, come on, let's go up to the mountain. Let's go and meet God. They followed him. I'm sure with great terror. They stood at the foot of the mountain. And the Lord is there blazing in fire. The whole mountain is smoking. The smoke is billowing up, it says, like smoke from a furnace. The sound of the trumpet, the trumpet of God, was ricocheting off their ears. It was louder and louder. They were covering their ears. It was piercing them. Their very body was vibrating with the sound of this trumpet being blown. And Moses spoke, telling God, we are here. And the voice of God answered him. And the Lord now calls Moses to come up to the top of the mountain in the midst of the fire. The Lord said to him, you need to go down and warn the people once more. Don't try to force your way. Moses said, oh, Lord, we've put guards. They cannot come. We've warned them. We have put limits around the mountain. We have set it apart as holy. All right, Moses, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But don't bring any of the priests. Just bring Aaron. And then God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the Father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold you accountable. He will not hold you guiltless for whoever misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor your animal, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. The first four commandments are commandments for the Lord God of heaven, for our relationship with the Lord God of heaven. The last six commandments all deal with our relationship one with another. The people saw the lightning. They saw the fire. They heard the thunder. They were shaken to the core. They could feel it vibrating in their bodies. They trembled with fear. And they began to pull back, pull back. It wasn't safe to be there. And they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that you will have fear of God that will keep you from sinning. Well, we're going to take some time and we're going to go through this law 
We're going to look at it and apply it very carefully. Please let me say again. If you have never felt utterly condemned and unable to walk in any manner acceptable before God, then you've never been to Mount Sinai and you are not saved. You're lost. Oh, you may be very religious. But there's only one thing that will lead you to Jesus Christ. Oh, there are many things that will lead you to to religion. There are many things that will lead you to the church in America. Friendship evangelism. Radio broadcasts. All kinds of things can lead you to the church, but not to salvation. There's only one thing that can lead you to salvation, and that's Mount Sinai. Until you have been to Mount Sinai, you will have no sense of your true condition before a holy and righteous God. And so you come to the Lord with all that you are. And you say, Jesus, I need a little bit more. I need you to break this addiction in my life. I need to be set free from this. I need to take care of this issue. I need some healing in my body. Thank you, Jesus, very much for all you're doing for me. And then you lift your hands and the pastor says, say this little sinner's prayer. You say it. And he says to you, now you're saved. Go in peace. No, you're not. You're lost because you haven't yet been to Mount Sinai. I remember the story told about the late President Ike Eisenhower. He was one of my favorite presidents. He was a smoker. And he had his regular checkup. And the Surgeon General said, Mr. President, those cigarettes are killing you. I need you to stop smoking. He looked at the Surgeon General. He took his cigarettes out of his pocket. He laid them down. All right, doctor, I'm done. And he walked away and he never smoked another cigarette. The human power is awesome to change our lives and to bring about self-improvements. And Eisenhower's life was dramatically improved by his laying down those poison cigarettes. You've been told by a doctor you need to lose weight. Okay, doctor, tell me how. Stop eating sugar. Do intermediate, intermittent fasting. Leave these foods alone. Stop the pasta. Stop the breads. Eat more fat. You do what the doctor says the fat begins to melt off your body. We have amazing powers to change our situation. But that's not salvation. That's human ability. The human heart can turn from one sin and stop committing the sin. If it's harming their life and their body and their family, they can leave that thing. One person I know was an alcoholic. They came roaring into their garage one night, drunk. 
slammed on the brakes and the artificial floor in the garage slid. It was quite a mess. And then drunk filed a false report with the police. The police came and put the person in cuffs and took them off to jail. This alcoholic had some DWIs, and they said either stay in prison or go to a rehab. Well, this person finally said, you know what? I'm destroying my life with this alcohol. I'm going to quit. And rehab was able to help them beat the alcohol. And now, nine or 10 or 11 years later, they're sober. It wasn't Jesus. It was a rehab strategy and a final sickness in their heart and saying, why am I destroying my life this way? Self-improvement. Wow. Go to a Christian bookstore and look at all the self-improvement books. That's the majority of books that sit in a Christian bookstore today. Self-help books. Self-help books are not books under salvation. You're still lost. Salvation happens when you have gone to Mount Sinai. You begin to understand your true condition before a holy and righteous God. You know you have no standing before him, that you are utterly undeserving of his grace and his mercy. You see the wickedness of your heart, and you are utterly cast down, and you have no hope of any salvation except as Jesus Christ comes and supernaturally gives you a new birth and transforms you into a new creature. It is by faith and it is by grace, but it is real. It is not make-believe. The American church is making believe that they're Christians, but most in the American church are still pagans. They've spray-painted Jesus on the outside. They've called themselves Christians. Even the pastors are there for the money or because they have soft hearts and they're do-gooders. They want to help somebody, and that's a good thing. I have a son-in-law who served 20 years in the Maryland State Police, and I asked him why, and he said, because I want to help people, Dad. Well, that's a, a wonderful thing to do, and I have great admiration for our police, our fire departments, our military. Many of them are there for the right reason, because they want to make a difference. They want to help. But don't mistake that for salvation. That's not salvation. That doesn't win them a place in the heavenly realm. They're still hellbound. Unless they've been to Mount Sinai. Let me read the scripture. You're saying, Pastor, prove it. All right, here you go. Galatians, third chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 19. Why then the law? What law? The Ten Commandment law. Why then the law? It was added on account of the transgressions until the seed should come to whom it has been promised, having been ordered by God through angels by a mediator's hand. Now the mediator is not one party only, but God is one. Then the law is a Against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law was given being able to make alive, real, real, real righteousness would have been by law. But the scriptures confirmed that all things under sin, in order that the promise by faith from Jesus Christ may be given to the ones believing. Now before faith came, we used to be kept under law, under condemnation, because no one could keep the law. It says, having been shut up to the faith being destined to be revealed, so that the law has been a guide to Christ, that we may be made righteous by faith, not declared righteous made righteous. 
I want you to get that. If you have been taught that you have been declared righteous and you still continue to walk in your sin, you have been deceived by the foolishness of the devil and the foolishness of the American Christian church, and you are still lost. You're not saved yet. What does it mean to be saved? Well, there's only one thing you need to be saved from, and that is your sin, your flesh, your wickedness. But after faith having come, we are no longer under a guide. We are no longer under the law. Indeed, you are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many were baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. There's not Jew, neither Greek. There's not servant, neither free man. There's not male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are of Christ, then you are of the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Now I'm saying that for so long a time as the heir is a child, he is in no way differs from a servant, though being master of all, but is under a guardian and administrator until the time appointed by the Father. So also, when we used to be children, we had been subjected under the basic principles of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, that he may redeem those under law, so that we may receive sonship from the Holy Spirit. And being, and because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your heart, saying, Father, O oh Father, for this reason you are no longer a family servant, but a son and heir of God through Christ. But at that time, not knowing God, you serve the gods not existing by nature. But now, having known God, indeed more, having been known by God, you are turning again to the weak and poor elements of the law, to which again you wish to be subject anew. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm alarmed for you, lest somehow I have labored in vain for you. Now let's make this very plain. If you have not stopped at Mount Sinai, if you have never been condemned for your sin, if you have never writhed under the righteous hand of God. If you've never recognized your unholiness before God, you are still lost. It is only the law that can bring you to Jesus Christ. He is the only guide to bring you to Jesus. Now you need to see that in the scriptures. Jesus sits down on the Mount of Blessing. And please, let me say this. Many of you who call yourselves Christians but are not, immediately want to go to the Mount of Blessings. Oh, Jesus has blessings for me. I'm on my way. Jesus loves me unconditionally. This I know. No, you don't. You've been lied to. You've been lied to. Listen to what Jesus says as he opens the Beatitudes, the blessings. Now, having seen the multitudes, this is Matthew, the fifth chapter. This is the New Testament law, by the way. Now, having seen the multitude, he went up on the mountains. And having sat down, his disciples came to him. And having opened his mouth, he was teaching them saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor in the Greek means utterly devastated, destitute, no righteousness of your own, no ability to change your situation. No strategies for success will transform you into a righteous person. You are utterly derelict. You are utterly cast down. You are utterly hopeless. And the word of Jesus comes to you because you've been to Mount Sinai. That's the only place you can find out that you're utterly destitute. And he says, yours is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are the ones mourning That is, blessed are the ones who are wailing and weeping over their condition of being poor in spirit, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble. That is, blessed are those who have lost all pride, who have finally recognized their true condition before a holy and righteous God, and they make no pretense They don't come with any sense of entitlement. They recognize that God doesn't owe them anything. They recognize that they are utterly lost before a holy and righteous God. Blessed are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you see the progression? the only place you will begin to see your utter depravity, your utter lostness, your utter hopelessness is at Mount Sinai. Now, we've heard the law of God so many times, we don't understand what it's saying to us, and and it's easy. We sprout it off, and, oh, yeah, I got it. No, you don't. We're going to get it this week. Next week, we're going to go in real depth. What is this law and what does it say? It strips us of all human dignity because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have been sinners before a holy and righteous God. And there's no hope for us until we acknowledge that wickedness in our hearts and until we come weeping, weeping, mourning. There's no hope until we humble our hearts before a righteous God. There's nothing I can offer you that will bring you into salvation save Mount Sinai. You've got to come. If you're trusting in a false gospel, a gospel that says you don't have to leave your sin, you can not leave your sin. In fact, you're always going to be a sinner. But God's grace is going to cover you. He's declaring you righteous. And my brother, you have believed a false gospel and you will be lost and you will be cast into hell. It terrifies me to say that to you. But that's what I find in the scriptures. And that's what John Bunyan found as he was reading the scriptures. Let me read it for you. The word of the Lord came to John Bunyan. And the word of the Lord was, Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven, or have thy sins and go to hell? And such deep conviction fell upon him, all he could do was weep before a righteous God. And as he writes this incredible pilgrim's progress, He says he was walking through the wilderness of this world. And he came to a certain place. There was a cave. 
And he says, I lay down in that place to sleep. And as I sleep, as I slept, I dreamed a dream. And in this dream, I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his own home. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. I looked and I saw him open the book and began to read. And as he read, he wept and he trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? Have you ever cried out, What shall I do? If you have not cried out, What shall I do? You are not saved. You're religious. You bought the lie of the American Christian church, but you're lost. Dear wife and children, I'm greatly troubled by this burden that torments me. What was the burden that tormented him? It was the burden of sin on his back that had been revealed to him. It weighs so heavily upon me. Moreover, I've received information that this city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. And when this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless by a way I do not yet see some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. They thought he was losing his mind. What I'm preaching to you today was what John Bunyan believed. It's what Jonathan Edwards believed. It's what John Wesley believed. It's what George Whitfield believed. But it's not what the American Christian Church believes. We have been deceived by a cheap gospel that holds no salvation. And it's time we come to terms with with that wickedness. I'll see a man. He'll preach his pretty little sermon. And then he'll leave and he'll go and joke with his congregants. He'll laugh. He'll have a good time with them. He'll go and smoke cigars and gamble with them. He'll sit and watch television with them and fill his mind with the images of wickedness. He'll host concerts and charge big prices in his church facility. He'll tell his jokes. He and his people are hellbound. Nice people. Hellbound. Because they never went to Mount Sinai. They've never felt the terror of God. They've never seen the holiness of God. They've never seen how utterly undeserving they are of his mercy and his grace. And so they have not received the mercy and grace. It's all make-believe. It's cultural religion. Five minutes. The music is so smooth and easy. I'm very upset with 91.9. I started my ministry during college. Every Friday night, I had a broadcast on WGTS. But today, they filled the airwaves in Washington with a popular so-called Christian music of the day, and it's not Christian, and much of it is not music. You want music? Go read the hymns of Charles and John Wesley. Go to the old timers and see what they said and what they sang. Very different. It wasn't this emotional slop, cheap, trite, feel good, but no depth, no salvation, no conviction of sin, no turning from unrighteousness. I am exceedingly disappointed that 
The station where I began my radio ministry in Washington, D.C. has turned to such utter, foolish, money-making darkness. Well, we're going to continue this study. We're going to begin one by one going through these commandments. And I'm going to ask you some very serious questions. Because I know until we begin to come to terms with with what these commandments really mean. We'll continue shallow, insignificant, no power to touch the world, and no salvation in the church. It's time for the American church to repent. It's time for the pastors to repent. It's time to get right with Jesus. To know our lostness before him, if that be the case. My trust is in Jesus. By faith and by grace. But it's real faith and it's real grace and it's not cheap and slimy. It's not false. It's real. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. Share this broadcast. If you're listening on the internet, please subscribe to our channel. It's been very sobering for me today. I pray it has been for you. My only purpose for coming to this broadcast is that as many as possible of you could be saved from the wicked age in which we live. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, Two two one nine five, or you can go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com I want to thank each of you who have so kindly and generously given I'm very grateful that you've done that I know I could not be on the air without men and women who earnestly desire the Lord Jesus Christ and understand what I'm saying. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.